Hello and welcome to Fast Track. I'm Andrew Kopian, a second year medical student at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences and vice president of the Emergency Medicine Interest Group. The purpose of this podcast is to help students find out if emergency medicine is right for them and to hear from interesting speakers about their path to emergency medicine. Now, we hope that this resource and others on our website help students along their path to medical school, residency applications, and into residency. Listeners will hear from different perspectives within emergency medicine, from students to residents to attendings. Today in our podcast, we'll be interviewing Dr. Scott Weir. Dr. Weir is a George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences alum from the class of 1995. Uh, he also went on to complete his residency in emergency medicine here at GW, specializing in EMS. He currently serves as the medical director for Fairfax County Fire and Rescue and is an EM attending at Inova Fairfax. Today, we will be discussing his experiences in the field of emergency medicine and EMS. Dr. Weir, it's wonderful to be speaking with you today, and thank you so much for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Just a little introduction. So a little bit more about yourself. How long have you been a medical director and what other, uh, some more background information? Yeah, so um, after my EMS fellowship uh, it finished in 2001, I've been EMS medical director with Fairfax County Fire and Rescue Department since 2002. Great. Um, so if I may ask, what exactly drew you towards emergency medicine and specifically EMS? Yeah, so I kind of had an interesting path to emergency medicine and subsequently EMS. Initially, when I was a medical student and even before in undergraduate, I was drawn to neurology and neurosciences. Um, did uh, psychology and neuroscience uh, as undergrad. Um, read Oliver Sacks' books on the man who mistook his wife for a hat. Had great love and interest uh, in the brain, uh, neuroplasticity, neurodevelopment, neuropathways. It was really interesting and kind of like a puzzle. I shadowed a neurologist in medical school to see what the job was like. It was fascinating, loved the clinical environment, but at that stage, it was before the era of aggressive stroke treatment. And I felt a little bit disillusioned by the fact that there was not a whole lot to offer therapeutically following diagnosis. And I started going back to the drawing board and thinking about, what I liked doing, what I felt challenged by, and what I'd like to do for my lifelong. And uh, during medical school, rotated through trauma services early, surgery early, ICU and emergency medicine early, and read Ken Iserson's book on getting into the residency of your choice. And I found his inventory helpful to me in finding out and introspecting and seeing what I liked about the different fields and then having a better understanding of what the long-term career looked like in each of those domains. And that's how I wound up choosing emergency medicine. I did like trauma surgery, didn't like the hours of trauma surgery. <laughs> and uh, I liked the intensive care unit. Um, the thing I found a little bit challenging about the intensive care unit is um, after improving the clinical status of a patient, they would not infrequently wind up coming back months later based on the kind of long-term and chronic progressive nature of their underlying illness. And in emergency medicine, I like the um, episodic nature of care and that my finish line 
was clearly defined and th there was a clear objective for that patient. Um, and I felt like I had a successful outcome, at least in the short term, more commonly and more frequently than perhaps I would in the intensive care unit. So that's kind of how I wound up in emergency medicine. Gratefully uh, managed to match at GW. Um, I mean, I had uh, involvement and counseling and advice uh, by the chair, Mark Smith at that time, and Robert Schesser, as well as kind of the undergraduate, uh, as well as the uh, other faculty, Yolanda Haywood, Jim Scott, and, and such. Was grateful to, man it, uh, to match at GW. And one day during uh, grand rounds for EM, weekly rounds, uh, Anthony McIntyre asked me uh, if I would be interested after uh, grand rounds coming with him, putting on a pair of coveralls, they'd bury me in rubble. And maybe an hour or two later, they'd find me and dig me out. And I said, Anthony, that sounds like fun. Sign me up. So I got to play the victim in their urban search and rescue training exercise for the medical team. And they do medical training every month. And it was really fun. And I'd come back dirty and dusty. And it was just great fun. And it was in that context that I got into um, urban search and rescue as a specialty. And Joe Barbera and Anthony McIntyre were great in making opportunities and including me in their, their training. And then during uh, residency, I got certified and trained as a medical specialist with urban search and rescue um, out at Montgomery County and joined Virginia Task Force One, the urban search and rescue team um, as a physician member. And that's how I got interested initially in EMS through the pathway of really disaster medicine and large scale event medicine. And it led to EMS because an EMS system really can't implement a plan or a play to address a large scale event if they don't have those resources, capability and skill sets day to day. And so if I wanted to make an impact to large scale incident response, I felt that I really had to be a part of the day-to-day -day system operation. And that's how I kind of spawned the interest in EMS. Craig Diatley let me audit some of his EMS courses during uh, EMS rotation. Ray Lucas made some of those courses available to me and let me participate in hazmat drills. And uh, it was really a great supportive environment there fostering growth and development in kind of the pathway that I charted out and uh, sought to create. And it was in that context that I got interested in EMS. Graduated my residency and uh, my wife was doing pulmonary critical care training in New England. Got a job up there as an attending at the private hospital. Um, it was kind of a little bit of a competitor with the academic institution. Um, but the EMS system was such that the two were partners in a, a cooperative agreement that contributed to medical direction. And so I started to get involved as the representative for the private hospital and fortune would have it that they were just starting an EMS fellowship and had not yet had a fellow. 
and fellowship director David Cohn gave me a call one day and asked me if I would be interested in pursuing EMS through formal training and jumped at the chance, took a, took a day of introspection, but um, jumped at the chance to work with Dave Cohn and Sandy Bogutsky at Yale in the first year of their EMS fellowship. And they kind of took me under their wing and helped me learn and grow and completed the EMS fellowship up there. Stayed on for another year um, while my wife finished her fellowship training. Got a chance to be an EMS medical director with small fire-based EMS systems up there. Got some training as a volunteer firefighter with Hamden Fire Service. That's not to say that I really have experience firefighting. It just gave me a very rudimentary understanding of some of the challenges they face in that job. But it helped me to better understand some of the challenges of fire-based EMS as well as see different EMS systems. Then when my wife finished her fellowship, we were looking you know, across the country of where we'd like to go to next. And Gratefully, Fairfax County Fire and Rescue Department was looking for uh, a full-time, uh, well, an EMS medical director at that time, and it was home to us, so we were grateful for the opportunity to come back to the Northern Virginia area. So that's kind of my wandering pathway into EMS as a specialty. Quite the pathway there. Looks like it took you quite a, quite a ways. It's interesting that you switched from neurology and neuroscience all the way to emergency medicine. Yeah, it was a fairly dissimilar specialties, but uh, but it's quite interesting in the the approach that we take, and gratefully it gives me a a great appreciation for the evolution of EMS and stroke care across the system and development of subspecialty systems. I know you touched on it uh, some, but if you'd mind going into a little bit more about the pathway towards, for example, getting into emergency medicine residency, um, and also getting towards EMS. I know you mentioned the fellowship, but. Yeah. So, um, into EM residency, uh, among the things from Ken Iserson's book, I, I remember having lunch with the chairman, Mark Smith, when I was a medical student, I was probably like third year medical student. And, um, was maybe bold, I don't know. I asked him, I said, well, Dr. Smith, what would it take for you to feel comfortable writing a letter of recommendation for me two years from now? And tell me what it would take, and I wanna do that so that you know me and would feel that I would be a good candidate. And you know, he, he laid it out and followed through on that. Then during my residency, I benefited from the multiple opportunities that were available through GW, including you know, EMS courses. I took um, EMS management. I took um, HAZMAT for EMS providers. Um, and I was able to audit the courses and sit in the course with you know, paramedic students and paramedics who were there for additional training and kind of got to know them. Um, and it helped foster that interest and um, potential involvement in EMS as a, as a specialty within or off of EM. That's great. Thank you for that information. 
Um, so we're going to delve a little bit more into what it's like being a medical director and some of your EMS experiences. Uh, what did you expect? What didn't you expect when you became a medical director? Yeah, so I guess I would be at risk for thinking uh, that it's all the awesome, sexy TV show type stuff. And while I wouldn't want to dissuade somebody who has love for those things, it is kind of that sometimes, but there's also a lot of um, other administrative involvement areas of EMS as well. And so one of the things that I, I didn't entirely expect or understand when I entered um, was some of the system design, some of the education and um, you know, education as a specialty uh, for training of paramedics and EMTs, um, continuing education and fostering that kind of lifelong learning in a way that's dynamic and interesting. Because as adult learners, even as earlier learners, it's gotta be interesting. It's gotta be relevant. It's gotta be applicable. So one of the challenges we face is continually refining and improving our educational offerings that not only deliver on the educational objectives, but do so in a manner that's um, lasting and impactful for the consumer who are our, our students or our providers. The HR aspects are also an element that I hadn't anticipated. And so it's the area of greatest, I guess, growth for me um, around, you know, just informal and formal leadership, trying to be a, a captain or a a captain or a coach to a team and the team-based approach. Um, my partner, uh, Dr. Dan Abstray, has a great saying that EMS is a team sport. And so leading a team is one of the critical aspects that I, I continually learn and grow uh, over time. And it's one of the aspects that I'm grateful for, but I didn't really understand early on. Um, so I'm always learning always growing and that's one of the other cool aspects. And whose young boyhood dream isn't to get to drive lights and sirens <laughs> calls. And uh, so there's, there's really interesting elements. And I'm continually impressed and grateful for the men and women of Fairfax County Fire and Rescue Department who kind of inspire me and teach me in different ways day in and day out. So I really am grateful to have a such a high quality team to be a part of. That's great. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, it definitely sounds like quite a, an interesting experience day to day. A lot of very, um, from you mentioned like the education HR. Uh, when you do, uh, you do respond to calls occasionally. You said. Yep. Mm -hmm. So what the protocol for that? Did you go off to kind of check up on how they're doing? Uh, go help out a little bit. So the answer to that's kind of yes to all of it. I mean, I can say uh, it was Joe Barbera and Anthony McIntyre who put together the elements of the GO team early on for large scale events. And kind of that was my first introduction to field response. And then during fellowship, Dave Cohn influenced what I, what I would add on to and such. And, and there's two domains, right? So there's obviously the large scale event that may benefit from either physician involvement or just support and encouragement. Um, so those kind of calls may involve trench rescue, prolonged extrication, um, 
sometimes standoffs like um, police events, combined events, or some of the lar larger scale. Sometimes it's as, um, I don't say mundane, but a, a large scale carbon monoxide exposure, wherein you have a large number of perhaps worried well or minimally symptomatic patients who may not require transport and ED evaluation. And the benefit that's brought to bear is that you can lessen the impact on both the EMS system and the ED in helping either mitigate or lessen the large influx of patients all at once. Um, and then there's the other elements is, you know, when I'm in the field, I'm grateful. My agency gives me a response vehicle, lights, sirens, package, radio, uh, CAD, terminal. And sometimes we add on to the large scale events like cardiac arrests, chest pain, unconscious, trauma calls. There's also benefit adding on to BLS calls and or the simple calls day in and day out, because then you really see how the system's working and functioning. And sometimes those calls may pose some of the biggest challenges or frustrations to frontline providers. And as medical director, at some level, I need to feel their pain and their frustrations. So if that's the type of call that's grinding down their morale, I need to see that, I need to feel that so that I can one, have a better understanding. And two, if there is any solution or um, systematic change that can benefit that case, then that's the only way that I'm gonna see it and understand it is to kind of walk that walk that they face. Um, I will say sometimes among the biggest challenges that ALS providers and even BLS providers in our system face have to do with um, what we'll call loyal customers or frequent utilizers. And largely it relates to a number of aspects superimposed, sometimes medical issues, sometimes mental health issues or substance use, and sometimes social or economic challenges that the person slash patient faces that pose impediments or barriers to them getting the definitive care that they need. And so seeing some of these challenges, we've been able to develop a community response team in coordination with um, mental health professionals, licensed social workers, law enforcement, mobile crisis, uh, to try to help resolve some of the barriers to care for these vulnerable and at-risk patients. Um, and sometimes that's where the physician medical director can bring the greatest benefit. And those are the calls that I get nights, weekends of, we're not sure the patient has decision-making capacity. They're at risk of a high risk refusal of EMS evaluation and transport and ta either talking them through the assessment or on occasion responding to the scene can help navigate the um, system and the mental health system to get the patient to the care that they need or might benefit from. So the calls that I add on to are varied from the very routine to those medically not that complex, but procedurally complex, to those more complex calls and more complex medical calls. I am grateful when it gets me out of the office. So between my colleague, Dr. Dan and I, we try to carve time to specifically spend in the field with providers where they are, where they're delivering care, to kind of hear what's on their mind. 
to kind of hear the three questions. What are we doing we should stop doing? What are we not doing we should start doing? And what are we doing that we should keep doing? And so as system stakeholders, we try to be where they are, speaking their language and experiencing what they're experiencing to give them a form and an opportunity to tell us those things. That's really interesting, just knowing how much it goes into making a comprehensive EMS system and supporting the providers. And going into that, I know you touched on it a little bit, but um, I know that there's some stuff, I mean, from my experience in EMS as well, that, you know, things are changing. Uh, some people are supporting more community paramedicine programs, uh, more uh, new technologies are coming out in the field. Uh, what do you feel is the future of EMS? What kind of direction it's heading uh, and what role of physicians play in that? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, it's challenging to project, you know, even five, 10 years in the future, but uh, the NHTSA EMS agenda for the future kind of carves out some of the elements that we anticipate and it's person-centered care. Not just patient-centered care, but person-centered care. And the goal is to be able to provide the care and services that the person may need in the setting that they're in, in as seamless and least burdensome way as possible. And so um, among the challenges will be uh, delivering care in non-traditional ways, not just in response to an emergency call, but anticipating and identifying what some of the health-related challenges are that a population faces. And so it's really the intersection of public safety and public health. And so we seek and we look to coordinating and cooperating with our public health partners to assess the health of a population look for areas where we can have a positive impact. Sometimes it's at-risk populations or those that are experiencing disparities of health um, and trying to bring solutions to the person or patient where they are. Uh, so for physician involvement, I think COVID was really, um, I wanna say good, but it, it helped uncover some opportunity and disruptive events and disruptive developments are like that. They just change how you approach everything. And so, as you pointed out, one of the um, kind of uh, uh, things that COVID kind of uncovered for us is investigation of what the role of telemedicine is. So I think there's opportunity for leveraging and expanding the involvement of telemedicine to deliver care at the point and location of the person or patient where they are. Not every person necessarily needs relocation from the X to the emergency department to receive their care. One of the benefits of the existing emergency care system is, all right, so the ED is 24 seven and you get some element of what you need at least with regard to identifying, excluding emergent life threats, begin your treatment and then referral. Um, but if we can better match the needs of the patient to the available resources without relocating the person, then arguably we may be better serving them. And so telemedicine may give us a tool to help deliver on that goal or objective. Uh, some of the other elements that, you know, ET3 and other innovative EMS leaders are looking at is um, alternate destination as far as care, um, if a different 
location of care delivery could better uh, deliver on the needs or goals of the patient, either through equal quality of care, better patient experience at lower cost, kind of the Institute for Healthcare Innovation triple aim. I think those will help guide our efforts to try to deliver for the person or patient a better experience at a lower cost with equal or higher care quality through innovative initiatives or means of, of, of delivering that. So there's gonna be some physician involvement. Um, there's gonna be some um, collaborative and cooperative involvement of the subject matter experts, depending on what the care needs of the person are. Sometimes it may be, um, it may be a, a, a handicapped ramp built to the patient's home. You know, uh, fall prevention rails, um, fall prevention in the home to prevent injury in the place of their residence. It may be access to a pharmacist to review their medications and look for, you know, beers category, high-risk drugs for geriatric patients. It may be social services to better deliver on the ability to fill prescriptions. So I think it's an opportunity for EMS to step into the role of leveraging our one 24-7 existence and capability, our mobility and care delivery at the point of the patient's environment, um, and our ability to kind of pull together system stakeholders and subject matter experts to deliver for the needs of the person slash patient at the point of their environment. So I think that's gonna be some of the challenge and we're in within that challenge is the opportunity to improve the care that we give to the population we serve. Thank you. And I find it really interesting that, I know you mentioned it earlier that everybody thinks it's the very sexy, oh, the high risk this, all the cardiac arrests and everything, but in reality, um, a lot of it is so much even, as you mentioned, it's not even emergency specific. It's how you can make the most impact is by doing things outside of the emergency spectrum. Uh, yeah, our community response team right now that uh, we have a paramedic that integrates with the health department, um, mental health professionals, and really what they're doing is integrated case management. And what I, what I see is at least for that population, that's the biggest contribution that we're making to improve their quality of life is good integrated case management. That's fascinating. And I'm really curious to see where this goes in the future too. Uh, I won't hold you to this. You said 10 to 20 years from now, but I think that's, that's, a, that's a great outlook for where EMS is going to be. Um, and I mean, that's most of what I was hoping to speak with you about. Uh, just a little ending note. What advice do you have for medical students applying towards emergency medicine? I guess uh, emergency medicine is a great specialty. Uh, it's exciting. It's dynamic. You get to really sit with patients and hear their story and be a part of their, their lives. Um, so I, I would definitely encourage people who are so interested to pursue emergency medicine. And for that subset in emergency medicine who have interest or love for EMS, I would encourage you to consider joining a volunteer system and getting trained as an EMT Right now it's about 110 hour investment and you will begin to see and have an opportunity to apply clinical skills and make a contribution 
to, to your community. And it also serves us well for large scale events because it's really the immediate responders, the people that are there before EMS that can have substantial and significant impact on how an event evolves. So I encourage you, if you have interest in EMM, emergency medicine to pursue it. If you're interested in EM, I would encourage you early on to consider getting trained as an EMT. Join and contribute through your local volunteer rescue squad or EMS agency if, if one exists. If it doesn't, reach out. I would love to recruit, recruit interested people to join Fairfax County Fire and Rescue Department. And I'm sure our neighboring jurisdictions would as well. I'm always reachable. As an alum, if you have interest in EMS, reach out and we'll look for creating opportunities to uh, do rotations for medical students and residents. And uh, I wanna recruit not only future EM physicians, but future EMS physicians to help improve the quality of care in the pre-hospital environment, develop the science and serve the communities that we're honored to be able to support and serve. And just to add on that a little bit, uh, I have some time in Loudoun County right next door. Uh, they also utilize volunteers quite a bit. And there's quite a few places around here that do utilize volunteers. So I would agree that it is a great resource. Absolutely encouraged. And do you have any final thoughts for our listeners before we sign off? I just encourage you to kind of take a personal inventory, go and see what it's like in the different fields. And, uh, Realize that you, you still have great latitude over the course of your career to grow and learn and pursue those areas that give you the greatest self-actualization and make the biggest contribution to your communities. So. That's wonderful. Thank you again so much for joining us. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And for our listeners, if you'd like any more information about emergency medicine, uh, you can visit our website at gwu.emig.com. That is emig.com. Uh, and feel free to reach out with any questions. Thank you again so much, Dr. Wick. Thank you for having me. Uh, take care.